Christians, he will talk to those who are disciples and he will say, because of this I want you to add some things to your life. And the wording that he uses there for to add to is a word that was used in his day to talk about an individual who is responsible for putting everything together to have a grand choral event. There was going to be this grand chorus that would be performing and there was an individual who was responsible for making sure that it came off in the way that it needed to be. Everything was prepared. Everything was ready. All that had to be done was it had to be accumulated and, and put together. And Peter reaches into his culture and he takes a word that individuals would understand and he says, this is a grand event. And it's the grand event of discipleship, being changed into the person of Jesus Christ, that is God's great expectation for your life. So what God wants more than anything is for you and I to actually be like, to be like Jesus. And so we've been walking through some of the text in 2 Peter. And, and if you are someone who has been a part of our congregation here for, for the last few weeks, and if you have been a part of these lessons, then, then some of these points that we're about to go over are things that hopefully you are, you're just dreaming about now. I mean, you, you are seeing these in your sleep. Look, look at this first one here on the slide. See if you uh, remember this one. Go, go to the next one. There we go. Discipleship is what? Say the bold word. Not passive, right? Discipleship is active, not passive. It's not something that just happens to us. It's not just some shot in the dark. It's not something that comes on by accident. It's not something that God gives us a lightning bolt from heaven and all of a sudden we are these stalwarts of discipleship. Our discipleship means that, that we are walking and we are following and we are, we are learning in the footsteps of Jesus. There's another thing that we have learned. See if you remember this one. Again, if it looks big and bold, you say it. Discipleship is... Not solitary. It's communal. It's why we're together. It's why we encourage one another to participate in an EB group that we have here. It's why we encourage you to be a part of our Bible classes. It's why we come together in worship. It's why we participate in activities just like our um, fall festival that's going to be going on this evening. Because we want to be together. 
Because we think that by being together, it will be an opportunity to encourage one another for greater discipleship. It's not something that we do off on our own, hidden away, hoping that nobody else sees and nobody else notices. There's another thing that we've been talking about. Is this idea that discipleship must be before it can be lived. It's got to be believed. You actually need to believe that you can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That the things that he said, the things that he asked, the direction that he leads, he does so intentionally believing that those who follow can actually live up to the expectations that he places. That those things that he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, those different parables that he would share as you were reading those and studying and you begin to think, you know what? He expects me to be a person who has a forgiving heart. And even though it is difficult and even though it is trying and even though there are others in your life that have perhaps torn your heart apart, he realized God's called me to be a disciple. And disciples are forgivers. And if he's called me, then he believes that I can be a forgiver. He believes that you can turn the other cheek. He believes that you can be merciful. He believes that you can be a, a peacemaker. He believes that you can live a holy, upright life that gives glory and honor to God. He truly does, but you have to believe it. God believes in you and you need to understand that you also must believe that you can follow in the very footsteps of Jesus. And so Peter says, in order to do this, we're going to start with our faith. And he says, then we're going to add some things. And notice, we, we talked about the idea of adding goodness to our life. Remember that? And we've talked about how that we're going to add also self-control. And we're going to add um, knowledge to our life. We're going to be putting these things in. And Peter says, listen, these are all things that we, you need to have. These are all things that need to be a part of your life. And last week we looked at the idea of self-control. Remember we had our, our suitcase up here of our just amazing beast that we carry around with us. Some of you as you were leaving last week said that your suitcase was a lot bigger than mine. And you're having trouble getting those smaller suitcases. But we all have our suitcases that we need to be careful of. Those beasts that live inside. And so we talked about the idea of self-control. This week, Peter says, alright, here's something else I want you to add. So you got a new thing. He says, now you've had this self-control idea. And you've been thinking on it for about a week. Now I want you to think about the idea of perseverance. I want you to think about the idea of, of perseverance. And so let's do that for a little bit today. Gracie Allen was a one-time vaudeville actress. And she's also known as the wife of George Burns. Maybe uh, you remember her here as showing her picture. She was a comic both on and off the air. And she was known as being an individual that was a great... Um, she had great wit and she also loved to play practical jokes. And every once in a while, some of her friends would, would also get into the game with her. And one day, she received a knock at a door, and there came a delivery to her. Special delivery, actually. And it was a box that was sent to her from one of her friends, and she opened it up. She did not find any nice gloves. There was no hairpin brooch. No, instead, on the inside was a little alligator. Yeah, a little alligator. And she didn't know what to do with it, because it was alive. And she decided, well, I'll just put it in the bathtub. So she goes and runs some water and she puts it in the bathtub and she leaves for her meeting. When she comes back later in the day, she finds a note that is left by her maid. 
and the note says this. Dear Miss Allen, I quit. I don't work in no house with an alligator. I should have told you this when I started. I just never thought it would come up. <laughs> you know, if I'd only known, I would have told you, right? You know, I'm guessing that some of you have been thinking about quitting as well, and maybe for the same reason. Because you don't work in no house, and no job, and no church, and no marriage. You don't work with no alligator. And you're weary to death for praying for someone who it just seems that no matter how much you pray will never change. And in fact, it seems like they're becoming more pig-headed and more stubborn as the days and the prayers go by. You've tried to take every thought and make it obedient to Jesus in a work environment that just daily presses down on you and encourages you to abandon a Christian ethic. It seduces you inch by inch into cynicism and, and gossip and sexual innuendo. And you've endured maybe some of you in churches in the past where every time it seems like you're about to get serious about worship and prayer and outreach, there's some kind of squabble that erupts over some little minute point of doctrine and you're just to a point, you say, you know what, I'm just tired of the alligators. Just tired of the alligators. I don't know if it's worth it. And so you want to quit because you don't work in no place with an alligator. Or maybe, or maybe you, you, you want to quit what you've already quit. You quit drinking but you crave just one more itsy teensy winny just sip. Maybe a mouthful. You quit smoking, but you're foul-tempered now, and you've got nerves that are just driving you and your family members nuts, and you thought, why in the world of all months did I decide to quit now? Maybe you quit pornography, but you're having this argument with yourself that the problem wasn't all that bad, and one last peak won't hurt. Or maybe you quit gossiping, but the latest news is an outrage and you feel a moral obligation to make sure that everybody knows. And it's just, it's just hard to work in a house with an alligator, isn't it? So I think Peter understands this. And because of this, he says, make every effort to add to your faith perseverance. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. And here's what Peter's trying to get across to us. He's writing to Christians and he's saying, listen, don't quit. Don't, don't quit. Don't walk out because of the alligators that are in your life. Don't walk out because of the difficulty. Don't walk out because of the heartache. Don't walk out because of the pain. Don't walk out because you're frustrated. Don't walk out because you're cynical. Don't walk out because you're just tired. The word that Peter uses for perseverance literally means stand your ground. Maintain your position. Stick to your guns. Don't let setbacks defeat you. It was a military term. It was a military term where soldiers were, were told to, to have perseverance in holding their position. And there always have been two different instances and primary conditions where those in the military wrestle with, with what to do and should they abandon their post. It's either when nothing is happening and the days stretch on into years and it's just dreary, tedious boredom. Or it's when everything is falling apart around them and each moment rains down terror. Either way, Peter says, in your own spiritual life, you don't worry about the alligators. You stand your ground. You see, he exhorted us to be good. 
And he exhorted us to fill our, our, our hearts with knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he, he, he implored us to make sure that we keep those beasts that are inside under control. But he's halfway through. He's at the midpoint of the different virtues that he's going to, to list here in this particular text. He's halfway there. And it's like we've traveled a good distance and we're, we can see the destination, but we're just not there yet. And so he says, listen, I know that the initial euphoria sometimes burns off. I know that after you've been a Christian for a while, it can just become tedious and monotonous. I understand that while you're on this journey that you, you get spiritual blisters and sore muscles and aching bones and it's going to get hard this God walk. It's going to be difficult. And he says, listen, you're adding these things to your faith, but don't forget stand tough. Stand firm. Don't quit. Persevere. See, the growing temptation is to abandon and just walk away. But he says it's too soon to quit. You see, he's writing to a people who had a carload of reasons to walk away. Some of the, some of the problems were due to just life itself. The usual upsets and hardships and sickness and setbacks. But most of it was owing to this one thing. He writes to a group of Christians who were dealing with hardships because they had said yes to God. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't that necessarily that they were going around doing anything that was wrong, but it was that they had said yes to God in a time when following Jesus, it was a time and a place where it was just dangerously costly. Townsfolk were suspicious and hostile toward them. They were considered to be peculiar people, cannibals perhaps even, who were going and feasting on the very, very flesh and blood of their leader. These Christians refused to give honor to the local deities. And so maybe the drought that was going on, maybe the problems with the crops, it was due to these people, these Christians, and they became a source of, of ridicule. It was easy to pin all the blame in the cosmos on them. In his first letter to these individuals, he's going to mention Peter Will 17 times this idea of suffering. It's actually the grand theme of his letter that he writes as he's trying to encourage the individuals who are disciples. Listen, you can keep going. You can be faithful. You don't have to give up. But the suffering that he describes, most of it would vanish away immediately if they would just do one thing. Just one thing. It all stops. All you have to do is quit. That's it. Quit your faith or at least quit talking about it. Quit obeying God, especially when it puts you at odds with everything that's going on in your society and in your neighborhood. Quit worshiping. Quit walking in purity. Quit believing that Jesus is going to come back. Just quit. And the pain will go away. The names will stop. Just say you never knew him. And as Peter writes, I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if perhaps he was thinking about a night when, when he quit. A night when he warms himself by the fire and as he watches Jesus go through trial after trial and individuals come and say, I know you're one of his followers. And he quit. He turned and walked away. And so now he writes to Christians. At his halfway mark in the virtues. And he says persevere. You want to follow after Jesus? 
We talk about goodness and it sounds like, yeah, I want to be a good person. Knowledge, I want to know more about Jesus. I want, I want to know him and experience him in my life. We talk about controlling beasts and everybody says yes. And he says, listen, you're going to have to understand something though. In order to be able to continue this walk, you've got to have perseverance. Because there are going to be moments where you're going to be by the fire. And there's going to be those moments where people are going to say, aren't you one of the disciples? And you have to decide right here and right now, are you going to stand firm or are you going to quit? What are you going to do? Now he gave reasons why the Christians would want to quit. He goes through a dozen. I've put some up here that I was going to um, kind of walk through you with. He says they live like refugees, like strangers in a world scattered throughout the earth. He talks about how they suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That they're falsely accused, blamed for things that they never did. He says, listen, you've been subjected to brutal working conditions and you've been punished for just doing the things that were good. Anybody think he's writing to you right now? Anybody sitting there and you read that and you say, you know what, I see myself. I see myself right there. Maybe not in what we've read so far, but maybe, maybe when he writes and says, you know what, Christian, you've been enticed to sin by those around you. And you say, yeah, that's me. Maybe you've been abused and insulted because you wouldn't join in the sin of others. And you've lost relationships and you've lost friendships. Maybe you've lost contracts because of the way in which you said you were going to live your life. And you feel like that you have been punished for following Jesus. And his message is don't quit. Don't worry about the alligators. Now, admittedly, quitting would be easy. Because following Jesus has never been the best career move. It's never been the thing that has expanded reputations or opportunities. It's not something that just goes and makes individuals rich or popular or influential. Actually, it has the opposite effect. And it especially did for these early disciples as they were trying to figure out what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? It turned them into oddities and outsiders. They were objects of ridicule. They were lightning rods of suspicion. They were targets of abuse. They were peculiar people. The worlds around them did not understand them. And so it strained the relationships that they had with their family, with old friends, with work colleagues, with their boss, with the government. They became everyone's whipping boy and scapegoats. People didn't just talk about them behind their backs. They mocked them to their very faces. And Peter says, you don't quit. He says, I know it's hard and you could throw in the towel and you could say, I don't go to church anywhere and I don't, I don't carry my Bible and I, 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 don't, I don't put God first in my life. It's easy to be able to say those things. But why would he tell you to keep going? Why would he tell, why would he tell you, why would he tell others, listen, you've got to keep going. See, here's something I think we miss about perseverance. It's obvious but it's oftentimes overlooked. Perseverance only makes sense if you're going in the right direction. You get that? It only makes sense if you're going in the right direction. If you're not going in the right direction then you're a fool to persist. But if you are then you're a fool to quit. No matter how hard the journey if you have found the one road that leads to life, then you stay the course. No matter what people say at school. No matter what happens in the workplace. 
No matter what goes on in the community around us, if you have found the one road that leads to life and life eternal, then you don't quit. You keep walking. No matter the alligators. And so the Bible often compares the Christian life to a race or a battle. And these are great metaphors for us to be able to picture what is taking place. Because it can be bloody and grueling. And it's because both in battles and races there's a common point, And that is to win. There's a goal before you. It's not a random struggle. This isn't just suffering that you go through so that you can be some type of martyr. But it accomplishes a worthwhile goal. I just read this week about a uh, movie. I've never seen this, but I heard this story. There's a movie called The Rabbit Proof Fence. It is the story of three girls in Australia. They, there were two sisters, Molly and Daisy, and there was a cousin, Gracie. The setting is 1931, and they were torn from their homes, literally from the arms of their grandmother, because they were half-breeds. They were part Aboriginal, and they were part white. And the law in Australia at the time said that they must be taken from their family. They had to go, at least for their specific case, 1,200 miles away to a special school where they were then educated under conditions of brutality, abuse, harm, and deprivation. But the story is about how they escape. They escape, but the only way they know how to get home is to follow a rabbit fence that is a 1,500-mile long little mesh wire fence that snakes along the western Australia. And it's this journey that's described that, I mean, you would think it's something that Homer would write. As you have these, these three young women, as they're trotting through blistering desert heat, they're, they're evading animals and trackers. The police are after them. They survive on food that they scavenge. And the whole journey takes them nine months. Nine months before they're finally re reunited with their family. And you think that's going to be the great ending and it's going to be a great story. But then years later, one of the girls, Molly, she is now a mother. She's also expecting another child. She is again taken captive. She's returned to the same school and she escapes once more, this time with her children. And she starts the same journey over again, even going through more difficult times. The journey that was dangerous and long and arduous, it only makes sense if the road leads home. And this was a great quote. The ladies, when they were in their old age, Molly and Daisy, the two sisters, they looked back on their life and they decided that they would do it again. They said we would do it again. We would do anything just to get home. We would do anything to get home. See, if you're walking toward nothing or fighting for no clear purpose, then just quit. Go ahead. If there's nothing to look forward to, if, there, if there's nothing that brings you comfort in the end, then just go ahead and quit. But if the road leads home, and if the Bible is true, then add to your faith perseverance. And don't worry about the alligators. Here's how Peter would say later on in chapter 3. He said, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be holy and God, live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God speeding its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Do you see where he focuses everyone? 
In two different letters, he writes to Christians and he talks about their suffering and he talks about their hardship. And he talks about all the things that they're dealing with and what they are going through. But he has this view where he says, listen, you need to understand there is a destination. There is an end point. And there's coming a time where everything that you see is going to be gone. He says, but because God is faithful and because he has promised, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where the righteous dwell. If you're walking towards nothing, then quit. But if the road leads home, add to your faith perseverance. Say, but what about the pain and ridicule? What about the suffering? Peter enumerates some of the values that God, that God brings to, to our midst whenever we go through times of, of hardship. He talks about how that hardships refine our faith. He talks about how that hardships protect our hope, how it, it weans us from sin. He writes and he says, listen, the hardships that you deal with, there is an intimacy with Jesus that you're able to have that deepens in your life. He says the hardships you go through, it's going to train you for holiness. Now it's entirely possible that as you're going through this difficulty and as you're dealing with the suffering and as you're going through the path and as you're walking after Christ, the exact opposite can happen. All the things of this world and all the alligators can corrode your faith and can shatter your hope. It's true that it can estrange you from Jesus and provoke you to rebellion. It can even plunge you back into sin, taking you places where you said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there anymore. But the difference is this. If you believe that though the whole world teems with alligators, that there is but one road home, then you walk. Because you will do anything, no matter, to get home. Don't believe me? If you were here this morning and you have been a Christian for over 50 years, would you please stand where you are? If you've been a Christian for over 50 years, would you please stand? I just want you to remain standing just a moment. And I want everyone who is currently sitting, I want you to look at these individuals who can tell you about hardship. And they can tell you about suffering. And they can tell you about sometimes being ridiculed for their faith. And they can talk to you about times where it would have been much easier to quit they can talk to you about experiences that they've had where relationships have been hurt, where there have been problems within their family, where there have been things that have happened at work, all because of their faith in Jesus Christ, all because of where they worshiped, all because of how they worshiped, all because of the focus that they put into their life, all because of the way they raised their family. And yet here they are. Here they are. And so here's what I would like for those who are seated to do. Go to the next slide if you would. Those who are seated, I would like for you to read this with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, would you please stand? 
If you've been a Christian for 30 years, please stand. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, please stand. If you've been a Christian for 10 years, would you stand? If you're new to the faith, would you please stand? Now will we all stand together? And again, read this one more time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There are a lot of alligators in the world. There are a lot of things that are going to make you question your faith. There are a lot of times that you're going to want to give up. There's a lot of times that you're going to want to say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It is not worth it. And I guess it's true if there's no ending. It's true if there's nothing waiting at the end of the road. But God has promised that when all of this is over, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth made for those who are righteous. And so add to your faith perseverance. And you stand firm and don't quit. No matter the alligators in the bathtub. Let's pray together. Father, we stand here surrounded, standing beside, in front of, and behind with individuals who have followed you for half of their lives for almost the totality of their life, individuals who are new to the faith, individuals who are just exploring what it means to be a follower of yours. And Father, we've heard this message today how that you have, you have this desire that your people would persevere, that we would keep on keeping on. And so my prayer is that for all of us today, that we would continue to, to have courage, that we would continue to have a faith that grows and swells inside of us, that we would live out the life that we have with joy, that we would follow close to your son, being covered in his dust, having his ways and his heart, having his focus and his direction. And I'm so thankful for those who are in our midst who have been following you for so long, and I'm thankful for those who are just now beginning. And it is my prayer that together we all will never quit. We will never give up. Because we know that waiting at the end of the road is our Father. You and your Son and your Spirit. We long for that day. But until then, we walk. In the name of Jesus, amen. Derek, I know you want to lead us to another song. We're going to encourage one another with the words that we sing. And if you need to come because you've been thinking about quitting and you need for us maybe to wrap our arms around you, or if you'd like to say, you know what, I want to be baptized into Christ because I want to begin the journey. I want to begin the walk. Whatever your need, let's sing and encourage one another together.